Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by Safe Light Auto Glass. Keep the drive going with Safe Light. I am merely Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. On the other end, I have a confession to make right out of the gates, my friend. My, uh, my lovely, uh, my wife's lovely cousin, Jackie, was married on Saturday. The wedding happened at 2.30. The reception was at 5.30. So for the first time since 2000, uh, well, no, because I had the birth of my second son, Parker, uh, happened at the Penn State game. So, all right. So this is the second time since 2007 that I've not seen an Ohio State game live as it's playing out. And I can tell you um, that that I will never do that again, because when you go to watch a game on DVR, not that I cared that they, you know, I knew they'd win and I, you know, I bet that they'd cover and all those things. But, but from the standpoint of um, when you go to watch a game on DVR, when you already know what happened. For me, it doesn't work. I mean, it just right. doesn't work. And that's why I always say, like, sports you care about and Game of Thrones are the only things you can't DVR because they'll get ruined. And that's what happened here. I, I had so many the- my so many strategies. One was, okay, I'm just going to avoid my phone. But that was impossible because everybody at the wedding was on their phone. And so they <laughs> would tell me. Um, so my, my initial plan was to DVR, stay off of everything, and then um, watch it late night or early morning and then do the three things and all the stuff that I normally do. Right. And um, and it failed. It just it's an abject failure. Uh, I started getting scores at an early point, at which point I basically just gave up. And then I started falling on my phone until it was, you know, out of control. And that was it. This was Maryland. So it's not like I missed much. Right. But sure. going back and watching the next morning, early in the morning on DVR, I just doesn't have the same juice. It just doesn't. Wow. So uh, my theory stands up. Live sports you care about. Game of Thrones, the only things you can't DVR. And I, I told the re- my wife's family, I said, honest to goodness not another fall wedding like <laughs> pick another day make it work no more fall weddings it's just not worth it for me well I, you know what two two thoughts on that first of all anytime i hear about someone having a fall wedding on an ohio state football saturday uh i just kind of imagine ramsey getting in his car and trying to run the couple <laughs> over and just like did a rage um yeah he's put time uh, into that like yeah a- well, and the second thing is, so here's the thing. So I agree with you that it's it's god awful. Um, no, you true. know, watching something DVR, especially especially Ohio State sports when it comes to that, like a live event that you want to see. But it's it's so much worse when it's a blowout that you. Yeah. I mean, obviously you know yeah. the outcome, but when it's a blowout and it's really boring in the second half, but you look, you sat down, you DVR the whole damn That's thing. That's right. So now you feel obligated. That's right. To watch crappy football. That's right. For like. Yeah. And in the case of in the case of last Saturday, like three hours worth in the second half yeah. that takes forever to play, because uh, you know if you're watching it live, you can kind of have in the background you're doing other stuff, like you're watching it, you're enjoying it, but you can still like kind of like half pay attention to. It. But if you make a commitment to sit down and watch a DVR game, you got to watch the whole damn thing, and it sucks. I hate it. Yeah. I absolutely hate Bad. it. I, I I feel you on that. That's no, dreadful. Um, so I watched Saturday and I was still a little, you know, I'd had a few too many, but it wasn't that I had too many. It was that, you know, they had champagne and wine on the table and then, um, they didn't have, uh, they, they, I asked if they had bourbon and they handed me Jack. And I said, well, no, that's not, that's not, that's not what I, <laughs> wrong. I don't want. No. That. That's wrong. And then they had to be Johnny Walker red. And I said, no, no, th- not that either. Yeah. So inevitably I just got to just get me Hornitos. Just let's do the tequila on the rocks with the lime. That's an old standby. We'll go with that. So the mixture of things led me a little bit, just a little hazy on Sunday morning, but I did watch it all. And um, look, there's things that jump out at you right away. The dominance of the defense clearly. And you'd like how I said defense, like hockey players do um, 580 yards for Ohio state, 66 for Maryland. I mean, 
basically a, a drive's worth one drive they had all day. Like that's yeah. it. I mean, it's just dominant and it started up front. I mean, Nick Bosa was spectacular. All of the, I mean, everybody up the, the pressure was unbelievable. It, they're getting better and better. Um, so that jumps out at me. The other thing that jumped out to me was the Denzel Ward targeting, which very clearly was not targeting. And the Big Ten came out today and said, you're right, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't targeting. And I don't know why they can't get that rule right. I think they're so hypersensitive to protecting against concussion um, mm-hmm. because of all of the bad press about it, that they just always rule on the side of overprotective of the receiver. And I, I understand the mindset of that. But I don't know how you could watch that in a replay and say that he targeted. I just I don't know. I don't know what well, you want him to do there. I just yeah, don't understand have, what you want a player to do. I have one real strong take on that. And I, I feel very, very strongly and, and forcefully about the idea that you have to have some kind of targeting rule because the second targeting call sure. I think was completely valid. And and you see Arnett, a lot of that yes. where it's like you have to take that out of the game. Uh the first, I mean, look, like it was a solid hit. It clearly was not targeting. It was right completely within the rules but i think that exemplifies the problem uh between trying to make the sport safer and then also trying to bend to the will of people who watch football for exactly that reason and that look that's not a safe hit okay like it i personally don't think that kind of hit should be a part of the game if you want it to be sustainable in the long term because it's not like that is Boy, the kind I of got news people for- concussions yeah. If I know, but if that's if that's not going to be a legal safe hit, then you got to take off the helmet and pads. Maybe, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the way to do point. it. Like maybe you go rugby. A level of evolution that you people do it. are not going to accept in football, and that's fine. And but you have yeah. to the rules have to make its peace with that. Like you can't have it both ways. If you want football to completely change and to make it so you got to wrap up and you can't have hit like hits like that, then you're you're talking about a really fundamental change to the game. Yeah. And I think eventually that's where people are going to get to. But if you're going to have these little things where it's like, well, it, it looks bad, so let's kick a guy out. You can't have, you yeah. can't do that. You can't do that. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's targeting, but I completely disagree with how they they you know implemented that call. Yeah, it's it's a bad call. You're right on our net. I I don't know how the, how the future of football looks. I I don't know how it looks, but it, it might end up going backwards, and you play with leather helmets and. I, I don't know. It'll be such, it'd be so weird to just the optics of it would look so strange. But right. um, if you really want to get back to tackling, you know, the way that you're taught as a little kid, if you're taught correctly with your head up and to, and to wrap, rip, wrap, drive, right. And, mm-hmm. and wrap up and tackle to the ground. If, if that's what they're going to get back to, uh, then I think you have to eliminate the the helmets and the shoulder pads or at least minimize them. That's maybe that's the way that it goes, but that's a conversation for another day. Sure. Um, the, the, the ward call, they, they, admit it's wrong and so so will you move off i think you're you're dead on clearly on our net a deserved targeting and and as it should be offensively for ohio state um look i mean they just motorboated up and down the field <laughs> just <laughs> went up and down and up and down and up and down and it was um you know 580 some yards of offense maryland was so inept i think it, the one thing that's dri- that that drives me nuts especially up here in cleveland is this notion that these games are just pure boredom meantime everybody up here wants to dissect you know, the, the 110th Brown loss in 111 games, and, and there's just <laughs> nothing to watch there. But they're saying these games aren't entertaining. And I'm like, well, you don't know what you're looking for. And what, what I'm seeing with the offense, we talked about it last week with the Oregon, kind of some of the Oregon influence that's starting to come through with Wilson and Ryan Day. And it's just continuing. And it's, it's getting, I think there's three receivers who are just stepping up 
and it's it's Paris and it's Johnny Dixon and it's Ben Victor. I think Victor in the red zone is is has developed into a legitimate threat. I think Paris Campbell has developed into someone who's reliable and he hadn't been that. He'd always had the talent and he would flash, but it, you w- couldn't really trust him. And I think he's getting to be trustworthy. And I think Johnny Dixon's turned into a pretty dang good slot receiver um, who gets in the hash mark and and finds a spot that's open in a zone and can can break it, you know, 30, 40 yards. So they've got something going offensively throwing it. J.K. Dobbins has the quietest 100 yards and seven yards of carrying a touchdown in the history of Ohio State. I mean, he, he had this game, you don't even really notice it. But you can see him and Weber that that that's kind of where you're headed as that evolution continues. I was surprised, a little disappointed that uh, McCall didn't really get any run at all with the ones. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of coming to peace with that there's more to that story, that there's something sure. there. Um, and I go back, you and I talked about a lot in the spring about, you know, he wanted to wear a single digit and he didn't get one and he's still wearing 30. And, you know, he, he just clearly is not a player that the offensive coaches and Urban Meyer trust. And yeah. I love him. I love his. I love how elusive he is. I think he's a difference maker. Um, but there's something they're going to play the best players, and and they just they're not going to right now. He's not in any position to get run um, of significance. It's just going to well, be garbage time run. You know, it says something that Antonio Williams has essentially the same amount of carries that he does. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the third string running back is is yeah, that's right. Getting the same amount of playtime as demario is i you know i i'm with you on the receiving guys I, I think ben victor with his size is just look just put him up against a shorter right you know, cornerback and have him just extend his arms and he should win that battle most of the time uh paris campbell you know we've we've ripped on that dude for some drops but if you are creative with them and you can get him into space i mean they had him do a couple runs you can you mm-hmm. can come up with some pretty cool stuff for that guy just with his speed alone so they're starting to figure out their personnel a little bit uh i you know you need to know what they can do. And I think a guy, for example, like even Austin Mack can have a pretty good impact. Uh, you know, just not necessarily busting the game open with these ridiculous, you know, bombs down the field. But again, they don't, if, if that's not who they are, then that's not who they are. And if they can be successful against teams like Penn State, then maybe they don't need to have, you know, that crazy multifaceted offense that I think everybody kind of wants. We'll see. I mean, that's going to basically be the challenge and the determination if any of this actually works. But, you know, against the likes of Maryland and Rutgers, it's clearly doing what it needs to get done. Um, I don't, you know, I was thinking that maybe Nebraska would be the first real test of this. But, you know, considering how they've kind of played and the way they've looked in a lot of different ways, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be a great indicator either. So it, it matters. I mean, this stuff does matter. The The evolution of the offense and how people are playing completely, you know, can reflect on what's going to happen later on the season. But you really don't know until you play a top flight offense if the, the you know, the offensive things that they've started to uh, institute have really taken hold. No, no, you won't know. I mean, officially you won't know until Penn State, but you can still see that I think we can all acknowledge you see little improvements that are being made and you see an offense that has an identity. Yeah, it makes um, sense. Yeah, right. I mean, we're through – yeah, right. We're through the – I've kind of dubbed this the are we there yet portion of the schedule and we're through that. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if we're on our way to Wally World, like Nebraska is very farm. Like we're not to Wally World yet, that's Penn State. <laughs> but we're we're going to stop here first and we'll get to Wally World tomorrow. But we've spent the last month driving through – Arizona. I mean, that's that's kind of what this has been. And every game has been a little tougher. The, not, I mean, the teams have been better. I don't know if they've been 
the results haven't been any harder to come by. But when you start at UNLV and then Rutgers and now Maryland, um, this is the Delaney Bowl, right? These are the teams he had to have for those markets, and he's getting a lot of money out of those markets, but they're just dreadful programs. And um, and so you're through it. And so while Nebraska will not be the challenge of Penn State, and we'll get to them in a second, at least there's a familiarity with the helmet. At least we can go, and it looks like a big college football oh, game sure, yeah. on Saturday night. So, right. I mean, there's – that, that's which we haven't had really since Oklahoma. And we'll get to Nebraska coming up uh, momentarily. Up next, uh, we will do the Michigan Minute. As Jim Harbaugh is not keeping ideal company at all, my friends. And still to come, Shelly Meyer, the first lady of Ohio State football, will join the program. But first, there are a few things that can wreck a road trip. Poor choice and drive through certainly can do it. Lack of rest areas, make sure you're crafty on that. Poor DJ performance out of your co-pilot absolutely I recommend just play Tom Petty that'll that's fine another thing that can uh, wreck a road trip is chipped or worse yet even broken windshield glass and that's where safe light comes in with their mobile glass service and locations all over the country your nicks can be fixed quickly safe light can service 97 percent of the U.S. population with more than 7200 mobile glass shops and repair facilities folks you know the name for a reason better replacement technology stronger repairs nationwide lifetime warranty I've used the product. SafeLight is simply the best in auto glass repair, and it is not even close. All right, time in the program where we do our Michigan Minute. And I saw this floating around on social media today. I don't know the. I saw that it started out on Saturday night, um, and it was comparing two coaches' records, and then it came to fruition that it was Harbaugh and Brady Hoke. And it was through 25 games or 28 as the head coach at Michigan. And they had the identical record. Excuse me, identical record. Hoke and and Harbaugh. And the big difference is Hoke's actually better against Michigan State and Ohio State. Now, the one win he has against Ohio State is the, the fickle year, but nevertheless, um, he was he at that point he was two and three against the uh, against Ohio State and Michigan State, and Harbaugh is one and four. Jim Harbaugh makes upwards of nine million dollars a year. They had to pay him that to get in the NFL because. That- was the type of offers he was getting. He was the hottest coaching commodity in the National Football League. They've paid him for it. He's in year three. Um, it's a tougher Big Ten than it was than Hoke when Hoke was there, no doubt. Uh, Penn State's pretty good with Franklin, and the coaching has been lifted up in Ohio State's Ohio State and so forth and so on. But at the same time, I am surprised, Johnny, that they're not better offensively. They're pretty inept. They've been inept all year. I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten a blue-chip quarterback in there to sling it around and make a difference. I'm surprised that he doesn't have – a big superstar running back. Um, you think about how many Ohio State has at running back and quarterback who are elite and who could play. And from what I can tell, he doesn't have any. So in that sense, it is surprising. And I was surprised to see that his record was the same as Hoke's through 28 games. I was a little shocked by that. Well, and at this point, I mean, this is when Brady Hoke really started to kind of lose the plot and the team definitely took yeah. a, a distinct market downturn. I think what's going to help you know, at least Harbaugh in that respect is you've got a really solid defense that is going to allow you to win, you know, eight to nine games at least. You're not going to really worry about it. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah. not what they want. I mean, and you're right. You're paying this guy this much money. Uh, there's there's really no reason to expect anything less than challenging for Big Ten titles and, and getting the college football playoff. I, you know, and part of it, it's the same thing that Hoke, it's interesting that Hoke is the, compar- the comparison because Hoke had great success his first season. And yeah. started that slide, whereas you saw, you know, a lot of promising things under the first you know, year under Harbaugh, especially at quarterback play, where you're like, you're bringing in this dude from Iowa and all of a sudden he's, he's yeah. had a great season. Um, and people really, I think, hoped that there would be more, uh, especially out of that quarterback position, given 
um, Harbaugh's pedigree. So they've they've slid way far back. I don't even you know they did some analysis. Uh, I forget I forget which was the the group that actually did this, but they're basically saying that they're so caught into these patterns that they you know they, they get really stubborn with their play calling. So if something doesn't work, they're going to keep trying it until they feel it's going to work. And teams just key on that. And especially when you've got a situation like they had over the weekend where they're playing in a monsoon. Um, yeah. I called it a remake of the Poseidon Adventure in my Michigan recap. <laughs> like it was like you look at these screen caps, like that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like they're playing in an aquarium. But they're still trying right. to have John O'Corn throw the ball downfield. Yeah. It's like, of course, he's going to have three interceptions. You can't. It's just not going to work. So they, they've got a lot to figure out on offense, and I think a lot of it is just they need to have a different way of thinking and stop being so stubborn on certain things uh, because they have talent on that team. It, it's not you know mind bending, super crazy depth talent like Ohio State has in some places, but they're good and they just need to have some kind of coherent idea about what they're going to be on offense. And it's the same problem that Ohio state has faced numerous times, but they, you know, I really thought O'Corn would help them out. And it, it, that clearly just has not been the case. So they, they're pretty much stuck with them. Um, they've got some young guys that they're excited about, but they're not ready. And if they want to make an impact in the big 10 towards the end of the year, they're going to have to get their, you know, their act together really quick. So, yeah, I, you watch them play. I, you know, they're, they're really inept offensively yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they have been all year i mean they were with spate they are with o'corn they're just not good they're not good offensively they're pretty good defensively which is interesting because harbaugh made his name as an offensive you know guru genius quarterback whisperer blah 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 with andrew luck and colin kaepernick and it just hasn't translated to the to michigan i mean i'm surprised in recruiting that he has not landed i mean you look at the freshmen around the country uh look at that jake Fromm kid at georgia who who mm-hmm. comes in true freshman and, and and plays Jake Easton last year at Georgia came in and played right away. Um, so so this happens. People do this around the country where you know freshmen come in, true freshmen, and they're thrown into the fire. The Jalen Hurts at, at Alabama last year. They you know you're thrown in and away you go. And and you know the team you know that you build a game plan around them and you get the best out of them. I mean I just don't see it, and it's it's odd to me. I just thought they'd be better offensively. The record, I'm not so concerned about the same record as Hoke. I think you know the Big Ten's tougher now, and so that contributes a little bit to it. I mean, Hope did a great deal from you know, that first year, as you mentioned, I think he went 11 and two that first year. So, um, you know, that he benefited a lot from that. So that, that I'm not as worried about, but just the way they look, I mean, they just don't look elite to me. Um, no. They do defensively, but certainly not offensively. There's just nothing that really scares you. They play Indiana this week and then they play Penn state and Penn state's off this week to prepare for them. And Penn State has been a buzzsaw. I mean, they, the close scare at Iowa, non with that's the only thing that's been a scare. They cover every single week. They did it again last week. They look the part week in and week out. They're winning a lot of different ways. People are taking away Barkley, so they're figuring it out, throwing it. They're good defensively. they got a lot of weapons. Um, I don't know, and I, I look at this Michigan team. I don't see them getting Ohio State this year, and they didn't get them last year, and I think last year was clearly the year you pointed to. And you just wonder, like, how long can – like, if Harbaugh's sitting at one and five against Michigan State and Michigan? That's I mean, tough. Michigan State and Ohio State? That's real tough. That's a tough sell, man. Yeah. And, and Michigan well, State's not what they were three years ago. And I mean, this no, is, they're not. And not only that, but, you know, Michigan's coming off a bye week playing Michigan State in that situation. Like, that's insane. Like, that's not – you should be point. ready for, for your second biggest rival. Rival. I mean, that's not – I don't know. I – I think Harbaugh has got a lot of cachet just in terms of who we are and the kind of excitement that he brings to the program. But if they don't win, and especially if they don't like show up in bowl games and these rivalry games and whatnot, 
um, that luster is going to wear off real fast. And I'll tell you what, if he goes eight and three, if he goes eight and three or eight and four, whatever, and, and yeah. the losses are to Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. I mean, yeah, exactly. What did you He's hire the him third for? Best what team is in the Big Ten East. Right. Fourth best team in the Big Ten East. That's not no. good. That's not good enough. That's not no, not, not for year three. I mean, Urban goes undefeated year one, wins a national championship in year three. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's what Michigan expects. So and and, the, and honestly, the truth is, I mean, the dude, maybe that's just who he is as a coach, because as much as people like Jim Harbaugh and the, the things he was able to accomplish, you know, at Stanford, I mean, they didn't win a national title. <laughs> that's not no, you know. but I, you're right. But I the feeling was, is that they overachieved their pay grade. Sure. Right? But, I mean, they're limited with what they can do there because it's, you know, the probably the country's most prestigious college that you can go to. Right, but and, they've been able so to replicate they, that kind of success without Jim Harbaugh. I mean, they haven't been necessarily have. consistent, but I mean, you look yeah. at him this year. I think the reason he, yeah, I think the reason he gets the Stanford love is the luck thing. Like he convinced yes. Andrew Luck to go to Stanford. And, yeah, and I 100% and so I think, agree with that. But that's, and, a, and then they went to get Andrew Luck every Orange year. Bowls and <laughs> stuff. Yeah. No, no, I up. agree. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting spot for him, and maybe and he was great with the 49ers. If you don't if you don't believe it, I mean, look what they yeah. were before he got there, and look what he was after. So uh, he was great. And I'm I am. It never gets me a whole lot of fans on the site, or even when I was in Columbus on radio. But I I am a fan of Michigan being relevant. I'm not yeah. Michigan. I'm not a relevant Michigan guy. Like I want them to be good because I want the game to matter. And and they are. It does matter, but you know, eventually he has to win one of those games for it to be the greatest rivalry in all the sports. And right, you know, it's hard to see it coming down the pipe anytime soon. Um, all right, be sure to visit elevenwarriors.com, and of course for the dry goods store for hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.elevenwarriors.com. We've got that new uh, trolling North Carolina shirt that is fantastic with the thanks for the wind. I love that. Um, and of course, you know how I feel. If you, this is the time of year where sometimes Ohio families sneak south. And that's always a good time to purchase the Sherman shirt. Um, yes. You know, if you sneak into South Carolina or Naples or, you know, sometimes we, you know, in Ohio, we like to get a late, a fall vacation, like a nice little week in, you know, Charleston or Savannah or whatever. Go ahead and pop out the Sherman shirt on those trips. I think that's, a, I, I highly recommend that. Um, I think you'll see the great sense of humor that Southerners have towards the Civil War. So I highly recommend <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, still to come, we will get to our three things for Nebraska. Talk a little bit about their program. But coming up next, we will be joined by the first lady of Ohio State football, Shelly Meyer. It is a great privilege to welcome in the first lady of Ohio State football, Miss Shelly Meyer, joining us. And uh, thank you so much uh, for, for taking the time. I used to see a lot doing the coaches show and stuff with Dami, and uh, it has been a while. So it's good to converse with you again. And I, I guess what I'm what I'm most interested in is. Um, is this journey that, that you and Urban have been on for what feels like you know, most of your life, of course. And I, I'm curious what if there was a moment with him when you realized that he would be great at this and, and be among the best who have ever done it? Wow, that's a really great, great question because when, when he first started in his coaching career, I have to admit I, I had no idea what was coming. I didn't know anything about it. I I remember just just being like, okay, well, whatever, whatever. I know he works a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours. I I just had no idea. Like, if people ask me all the time, did you see this coming where you are now? I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, so when we were at Bowling Green, you know, when he it was his first head coaching job, and um, so I think that's where you learn if you're 
like if you're going to be a good coach or not is when you have your first head coaching job. And we, we went on that first game at Bowling Green. We were going to Missouri. And we were both like, okay, well, what what if we aren't good at this? Like, <laughs> what happens after that? And, and we really didn't know. You you don't yeah. know unless you've cooked your own game before. And I just, I remember, like, you know, I had to be the supportive spouse and pump him up and all that. And I just said, you know what? You're going to be great. You're going to be great. You can do this. You can do this. And we won that game that first game and it was such a magical win that I I knew he was going to be good. I knew he was going to be good. Bowling Green was not good for six years before we got there. We did right. not know if we were going to be good or not. We did not know if we were going to go ahead and with the, the same the same record they had had for six years or not. And when, once he won that game, I knew he had something. He had something in him. Well, and then what, what's what's amazing, real quick, what's what's amazing is the um, as you the next jobs, every one certain people would identify as the job. Like you go to Utah next, Salt Lake City, spectacular, and people would coach their whole life at Utah, and then it's Florida, and and people want to coach at Florida their whole life. I mean, Spurrier's coaching at South Carolina; he still wishes he was coaching at Florida, and then you at Ohio State. Like, I mean, really, like three dream jobs you can argue one after another. I mean, it's surreal to think about. I know it, it's, we, we were so, we've been so spoiled. We really have because we've lived in great places. Like when he took that salt, like he did not want to take that Salt Lake city job. He was happy at Bowling green. He was scared to change. And I'm the one that said, Hey, let's go look at Salt Lake city. Oh my gosh. We've been there. <laughs> we've played there we, because we were in the mountain West with um, Colorado state. Right. Salt Lake City is beautiful. Yeah. And um, he took that leap, and I would have stayed there for 20 years. Really, yeah. would have stayed there. If Florida did not come calling, I would have been happy there for 20 years. Love that place. Love the people. Love the whole state, the whole city. Um, but, of course, in coaching, you have other goals that don't relate to your lifestyle act, you know, all the time. Um, Florida, we knew we could win a national championship there. And that was the only thing that took us out of Salt Lake City. And then being at Florida was amazing, of course. Amazing. Mm. That that was just the epitome. That that was where Urban, as a coach, reached his dream of winning a national championship. And not only one, but two. Right. Well, uh, so obviously there's a huge learning curve when it comes to, you know, you're, you're a bowling green and then all of a sudden, you know, you're advancing like in the career so quickly, but I want to know how it was for you personally, because I feel like there's also like a gigantic learning curve, just trying to deal with the, the escalating amount of like media pressure and, and attention and all that. What was it like trying to adapt to the, the social changes that come with the coaching changes? Well, it's so, it's really hard to put into words how now that I look back, it just, it's like everything just evolved. Yeah. It wasn't even, it just happened. It was just like, I can't even tell you there were these earth shaking things with every move. I mean, I did not know we would move so much. I'll tell you that when right. I knew he wanted to be a coach, I didn't, I had no idea that we would move so many times and we haven't even moved nearly as many times as some coaches have. We've been very, very blessed 
so um, you just kind of, as the wife and the kids, you just kind of get into that place where you just roll with it. This is what dad does. He's climbing the mountain. I remember explaining that to my kids. Dad's climbing the mountain. And hmm. this is what we do as a family. This is, how we, this is how we roll. This is what we do. And our kids were, I'm not going to say it wasn't challenging moving because guess who had to pack up the house and the kids and find the new school and find the new house and all that. I did, but it was like, almost like I, 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 I'm like, I'm at a loss for words for how I did that. I just did it. You just do it. It's like every person in America, every, especially every woman in America who assumes mostly the role of mom and runner of the house, you just do it. And in coaching, you just kind of fall into it and you, work with your mentors who are older wives. I had a lot of really awesome older wives in coaching that mentored me and kind of prepared me for this is what you do. You, you need to make all these decisions and you have to do certain things so that your husband can do his job with the football team. Well, I wouldn't and, sell yourself short. Cause I think you, I mean, I think you've done a pretty remarkable job, you know, kind of holding everything together and doing what you need to do as a person as well uh, throughout all those changes. So that's pretty impressive. But, but I will say that the thing that I like to think that maybe this is a little bit different than the way maybe older, older coaches did it. We did everything as a team. Urban yeah. didn't make decisions without me. And I was very thankful for that because I know probably back in the old days, coaches made most of the decisions. They just said, this is what I need for my career. So we're doing it. Right. Now, um, most people know there were three jobs that I was not allowed to be involved in the decision in. There was Ohio State, Notre Dame, and the team up north. And this is way back. Now, don't get crazy. Like, don't Ohio State <laughs> fans, don't get crazy. This is way, 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 way back when Urban dreamed of being a head coach. His, yeah. his jobs that he thought were the main jobs that would be, a, you know, the epitome of coaching were Ohio State, Notre Dame, and the team up north. We never had thought we had a chance in Florida anywhere. We're not from there. That's just right. not the way it worked. So um, he told me from the very beginning, there's three jobs you, I'm sorry, you have no say in. So, <laughs> of course, <laughs> we've been at two honest. of those and we're not, we've been at two of those and we're not going to the third one. So that's right. and, and I think, the, and the rules have changed. I have a say if that third one comes along, I have a huge right. say in that and we're not going there. That's right. Shell, I was, um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I have three little kids and um, I saw my wife like get into <laughs> Like she, she's, she's turned, what I've seen her turn into as a mother is a mama grizzly, which is the most fierce animal in the world, right? Like I grew up in Montana. If you see a mama grizzly, just, just stop and go away because they're the, they're the most dangerous species on earth is, is that, especially when they're with their cubs, obviously. And, and I, I'm, yeah. I'm curious about the mom part of you because you have three wonderful kids and I was lucky enough to be at Florida. I, I was in the state of Florida and I covered urban's and your guys' first national championship at Florida. Florida. And I went to a lot of Florida games and covered a lot of Florida games down there. And I remember little Nate, you know, running around in Tebow jerseys on the field. <laughs> and I remember the way, I mean, you guys just soaked in Florida and loved it. Um, and yet yeah. when he, when, 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 when he steps away from Florida and then, you know, takes the year off and then the Ohio state situation comes about and nobody thought that would ever come about. I mean, the idea that Tressel wouldn't have been the Ohio state coach decade is just silly and people forget about that. Um, but never. No, I mean, it just came out of nowhere. Um, but I'm yeah. curious, how, how did you how did you protect? Because, I mean, they had such a fond 
feeling about that university and your time there clearly. And I'm sure you do too. It's a great place to coach and to live. And yet there, there is a, a, a faction of, of Gator people who just for whatever reason, and I talk to people down there who I still know, and I'm like, what's the, he's the best coach you ever had. He won two national titles and they just can't get over it. And I don't know if they ever will. How did you protect the kids? Well, that was a really hard time. Really, it was because um, we, you know, I, that was one of the places that we lived the longest of any place mm-hmm. we lived. We lived in Gainesville, Florida. And even though we weren't from Florida, we integrated there very quickly and very well, and we were successful there. So you, there's a fondness there that is not ever going to go away. Like, I still love the Florida Gators. And I know that there are some people at Ohio, you know, like some fans here, like, oh, my gosh, they can't even hear it. No, I still love the Florida Gators. And then when all this came up, I mean, I, you know, I've been very open about when all that went down with Trestle, my immediate reaction was, oh, no. Oh, right. no. Urban's going to get a call. And I don't want him to get that call. I was very happy there, very happy just staying there. And I was happy with his job with ESPN and he was very non-stressed and there was a lot of stuff that was really great about that time when he wasn't coaching. But in deep in my heart, I knew that as many dream jobs as he had and Florida was one of them and Notre Dame was one of them, that Ohio state was the, the one, Mm -hmm. the one that no other job can match. And I, I, as much as I wanted to say, no, you're not taking it. I'm not moving there. Um, I, I couldn't do it. And my kids, you know, our kids have just adapted along the way. They're very strong. They're very resilient. We've moved them several times. They make friends easily. And um, we're, we're just, you know, I just thank God for all that because, um, they're, you know, it's really hard to move your kids. But they, um, they just adapt. They adapt. And Nate was the only one that really had to adapt to the move to Ohio State because the girls were in college. Right. And yeah. he's just a great little kid. He's just a great little kid. And I remember him telling me, Mom, don't you worry about me because I make friends really easily. <laughs> <laughs> he told me that. He wasn't awesome. worried at all. Um, we've just been really blessed with kids that adapt to change. And, 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 you know, coaches' kids do. A lot of coaches' kids have to go through that. And they do. They learn to adapt to change. So what's been your favorite part about the Columbus experience then and coming up here, you know, from Gainesville and, and, and really kind of making a go of it. What's been your, your favorite part about being up here for the past several years? Well, um, coming back here was um, pretty amazing because like, you know, I grew up here age. I mean, I was born in, born in Ohio, born South of Columbus. Right. Went to high school, went to college at UC. Um, you know, my family was all Ohio State fans. It was great coming back, reconnecting with a lot of lifelong friends that I've been away from for a long time. But I'm going to tell you the greatest thing, I think just the most fun thing was coming back here and being able to win a national championship when I thought we couldn't do it because nobody <laughs> thought we could do it. Nobody thought right. we could beat the SEC. I remember telling Urban when he wanted to take this job, I'm like, how are you going to beat the SEC? You can't beat the SEC. The Big Ten can't beat the SEC. We're too slow. Blah, 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 blah. You know, all that. and we were, mm-hmm. and we were in the beginning, we were, but we did it and Ohio state did it. And the big 10 has gotten better and that's been really fun. 
And, I mean, I have to tell you, a lot of my life is football. And football is, you know, success in football is a, a big part. And I was really happy for Urban, especially, to be able to win a national championship here in Columbus at Ohio State, which is a school he has loved since he was about two years old. Do you remember this, Shell? After you guys won the national championship, uh, Dom and I were on Channel 10 for like an hour and a half. And, of course, Dom's people's on and, and you were on with Dom and I and it was you know the confetti had already fallen and it was Oregon and we took a commercial break and I think we talked to you for like we took a commercial break and in the commercial break uh we were all talking and and um we we kind of said this was unbelievable to beat uh Oregon obviously to win national championship but it was really Alabama when you yeah. beat Alabama at the Sugar Bowl that was the one that you went holy cow like nobody does that nobody goes down there no. and beats them I mean that that was the game that you went, oh, my gosh, that was the game. And I'll never forget talking to you that time. And, I, I mean, gosh, Almighty, you were on with us after the Big Ten Championship that game that year. You were on with us after the Sugar Bowl and then on with us after the National Championship. And it was, it was just a spectacular ride. I mean, just unlike – it's a 30 for 30. Like, everything that happened that year, I don't know how you write it because you wouldn't believe it. You hand it to somebody in Hollywood and say, this happened – and he would say, get the hell out of my office. There's no way that happens. <laughs> no, with everything that happened that year, it's, it's just too far fed. I know. And with our third-string quarterback. Right. That's the thing. I remember when Braxton went down, we said, well, that's the season. I mean, that's it. Yep. You know? Yep. And then JT, and the whole, whole thing, it was just spectacular. I, I do have to, I know, I know you got to run, so um, I, I, I know Johnny's got a, a quick one for you, but I just have to know, the only thing that I can take umbrage with uh, that you've done is, and I don't know if you've done it, so I'm going to confront you here. Did you make Urban uh, shave the beard? Well, no, I didn't make him. I just voiced my strong opinion about how I didn't like it. <laughs> just because of the kissing factor, because it like hurt your face, because he looked great. I mean, he looked fantastic. No, he did not. You cannot say <laughs> yes. He did not look great. He did not. It's gray and salt peppery and. It, made it looked like Dan Haggerty was great. I, lo- I, lo- I, I will cast my vote for Yes Beard. I think it was excellent. He looked so good. No, he did not. So the thing is, he always does that during vacation. He always right. goes to go to right. during vacation, but he shaves it off when, when the, before the first game or in two days or whatever. For some reason, he let it go. I have no idea why. I still have no explanation why. And I kept saying, why do you have that? Why are you letting that go? Now the media is all over it. Now it's a big thing. What are we going to do here? Because you, you, can't, you can't do this. I don't like it. And he's like, oh, I don't know. He was just real lackadaisical about it. And then I knew it would be gone before the IU game. I knew. He, he, that, that's not urban. That's not urban with the scruff. That's that was, right. I don't know, fake urban. Maybe that was fake urban. <laughs> fake urban. That's a great follow, by the way. It's a fantastic Twitter account. Um, you know what? So here's, here's what I would say. So again, I, I, I think the beard was excellent. He definitely looked like somebody who would, you know, reach up and just like, you know, kidnap Nick Saban or something like that. But so I, I enjoyed that. But the, the point that I was wanting to drive at, cause we talked about the national championship, I believe, and incorrect me if I'm wrong, maybe I have the, you know, the particulars of this incorrect, but I believe that, uh, Urban Meyer made a promise about a tattoo. And to he this did. date, I have seen neither hide nor hair of this actually happening. So oh. what, can you please explain why he does not have like a, you know, an ice cream tattoo on his face or something like that? Yes, I will. I will explain because Urban and I made this pact when he got the Notre Dame receiver coaching job. 
Okay. He really thought we were going to win a national championship there. That was back in 1996. We made a pact. If we win a national championship at Notre Dame, we're getting the fighting Irish leprechaun tattoo. The <laughs> both of us. Well, we didn't win one there. Did right. We? No, we did not. And then we get to Florida and we win one. And we're like, oh, shoot. We made this pact back in 1996. Now we have to get a tattoo. Well, I'm scared. I don't want to get a tattoo. And then we won another one. Well, I'm still scared to get a tattoo. Plus, part of the reason is I'm a nurse, and I know about all the risks of having a tattoo and the needles right. and all that. And then we get to Ohio State, and we win another national championship. And he so you makes had, like, that four promise. tattoos by this point. <laughs> well, listen, we've got the design. We have okay. the design all out. We are going to do this. Someday we are going to do this. But it has to be somebody I really trust. And I have somebody in mind. Okay. And it's not at a tattoo parlor. I have a special person. <laughs> and my my dream, and I this is really, I don't know if I'm, I don't want to jinx us, but my dream is to win one more. And then we get it and we have four dates on it. So we're, we're going to do the tattoo at some point and we will have all the dates of our national championships on it. That is and that is the sole reason why I want Ohio State to win a national championship at this point, just so that you guys are yeah. getting this tattoo. Like that is that is that is my only motivation now to root for Ohio State. That's perfect. And the problem is we're not tat people. Neither of us has a tat. At, yeah. None of us. Neither of us has a tat. So this is big. We're not even beard this, this people. We're we're not beard people either. <laughs> Shelly, uh, thank you for the time. I could I could talk to you for an hour and a half. I've always enjoyed it, and I really appreciate you doing this for us. And uh, we'll we'll do it again another time if you'll permit us. Well, you guys are great. You're very supportive. I know you have a job to do, and you can't always be all fluffy. But we appreciate <laughs> your love for Ohio State. We know you love Ohio State, and um, just thank you so much for having me on. I think it's fun. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right, we want to remind you uh, to not forget to follow the 11 Dovecast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. Please uh, rate us high. That would mean a lot to us. really would. All right, time for uh, the, the final segment of the program where we talk about the opponent, and that is Nebraska this week, so the three things that jump out. Um, for me, against this Husker team, uh, you know, look, they, they have an N on the helmet, and that's about all that they have in common with the old Nebraska teams, not much else. So to me, this game can be dominated by Ohio State via the pressure up front. Um, and I think Tanner Lee's in trouble. I think he's going to run for his life. He has about his, he's got about a one-to-one touchdown interception ratio. And I just think the way the defensive line keeps getting better and better. By the way, you see Chase Young come in at the end. And just, I mean, it's just unblockable. I mean, he looks like a future first-round pick, and he's like fourth on the depth chart. So um, I just think it's going to be a relentless pursuit of pressure up front. And I think it's going to be a long, long day for the Nebraska quarterback, Tanner Lee, my friend. Yeah, I don't – I mean, you look at statistically, I don't really know what he's going to be able to accomplish. I mean, he's been mediocre at best. He has almost a one-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio, which is not good. Uh, I agree. I think he's going to be really just pressured the entire game. And and what I want to see, I mean, you know, you want to see the defense obviously step up and get some sacks. Uh, I want to see some interceptions. I, I want to see some, you know, game change. I want to see some pick sixes. I want to see – the defense score some points. I think that would be really fun, and I think that would be a cool uh, way to kind of carry that into the the bye week and then to uh, Penn State. So that's one thing I, w- I want to see defensive points. That's my big thing. 
Yeah, I mean, they did it last week, and it, it, this game is ripe for it because Lee will put the ball up. Uh, the right. second thing for me is, is you just don't want to let them have hope because they're not on your level talent-wise. It's a step up from Maryland, sure, um, but, but don't let them hang around and have hope. And, and so what I think that demands is a clean first quarter. You don't have to be up 14 nothing at the end of the first, but if you're up 7 nothing or 10 nothing, and you haven't turned the ball over and you're suffocating them in their end, um, that can be demoralizing for a team you know, at home playing under the lights, and, and they can lose hope pretty quickly. I, I feel like they're about ready to leave, lose hope anyway. So to me, this seems like a wounded animal. Yeah, I think there's the an opportunity, one, you know, in that first quarter to put this thing away and play clean football and, and get out of there and with a pretty comfortable win. Right. Uh, the next thing for me, though, would be really how J.K. Dobbins is going to perform. One of the things that I, I posted about um, on, I guess, last week was uh, the comparison between Saquon Barkley and J.K. Dobbins over the past two games. Saquon Barkley's had what I'm just looking up right now. He's got 36 carries, 131 yards. That's sl- mm-hmm. a hair over 3.6 yards per carry uh jk yep. dobbins 19 carries 149 yards at 7.8 yeah. yards per carry so that's right look i just you know i think this is a guy who's really rounding into form if they give him the opportunities i think he can run roughshod over nebraska and you could see a game that approaches 200 yards if they want to do that uh i think it would be a cool coming i i also think and and this is you know really about penn state but i think if you can establish something like that before that game that can scare the hell out of Penn state. If you show that you have a running back that can dominate a game like that, uh, that forces them to change their, their game planning defensively a lot. So I look for JK Dobbins to have a really, really big game and kind of continue what he's been doing the past couple of weeks. Yeah. He and Weber, I mean that, you know, Dobbins has clearly been the better back to this point, but you're getting flashes of Weber getting into form as well. And it's, you know, if you're Penn state, you know, that it, they're, they've been great, but but that will be something else. I mean, that game at the end of October is going to be spectacular. Uh, finally, for me, appreciate the fact that we get to play Nebraska. And so this is one for more of the fans. You know, we are coming out of a stretch of, of I mean, you know, the service academies, the service academies, you never throw, throw anything there, and they have great history, and I think it's fantastic to play them. But after that, you're talking about UNLV, Rutgers, and Maryland, okay? Um, this is Nebraska, and it's not the Nebraska of my youth. Um, Tommy Frazier's not running through that door, and – uh, Mike Rogier isn't either. So they're not that. Uh, the 95 Nebraska team is the best team I've ever seen in my life. It was the best college football team I've ever seen. I've never seen anything that dominant. They were a freight train. You got in the way of it. You just got smoked. I mean, they what they did to Florida that night in the desert, it was like 62 to 14 in the national championship game. Florida was good. And they just housed them. I mean, they just completely housed them. So um, this they're not that. And and they haven't been that for a very long time. That's been 20 years ago. And, and frankly, to me, they're the George Washington on the Mount Rushmore of programs that will never be the same. Like they are the most important one. Um, that's who they are. They will never be the same. That because of their move to the Big Ten, the recruiting base will never be there for them. They've got to try and get second and third tier kids around the Big Ten that don't want to go to Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State. And it's just it's just not a recipe for success. Um, so they're not who they are. That said, uh, that helmet, that uniform, that venue are historically important college football. And it, it, to me, I'm just, I'm excited to see silver bullets run out of one tunnel and, and the white, you know, the white helmets with the red end roll out of the other because it's a cool look of a game. And I'm excited for it because we haven't had one since Oklahoma. And so it's whether, I don't think this game will be close, but, but I still do appreciate the fact that we get to play Nebraska. Yeah, I you know what I'm going to agree with you on that one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm not I'm not a night game advocate by any stretch of the imagination. I am so sick of night games. 
uh, when they're not like huge marquee things. Uh, but I'm I'm going to be, you know, right there, obviously, and in, in watching, uh, you know, I think what's going to be a really fun game to watch simply because of what you just described, the atmosphere and, yeah. um, you know, just the fact that it's Nebraska football and it, it, everything that that brings with it is worth it. And even if they're not very good, even if they have a lot of controversy, you know, in the athletic department at the coaching uh, position, um, I think it'll still be a lot of fun. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm a lot more excited than I've been. Uh, in about a month for Ohio State football games. And I think it'll be cool. Yeah, it, it is. And it's um, so we, we have that to look forward to. Which is, uh, it's weird. We're doing the television show today and, and the, the, the graphic um, that's supporting the video, it's called a CG. And the CG says, don't look past Nebraska. And I thought about how absurd that is to think that, I mean, like if you would have told me 20 years ago that somebody would say that Ohio State shouldn't look past Nebraska, Right. Why in the hell would they? <laughs> Nebraska was the best. I mean, from 90, 94, 95, 97, they win national championships. They're the best program in the country, really, from 92 to 98-ish, something in there. Um, and they win three national titles. They're Alabama, you know, during right. that stretch. That's what they were. And it wasn't just they won. I mean, they were dominant. Just nobody. You could not touch them. And so the idea that they would be some team or program that's looked past now and a scant 20 years later, is it's so hard to wrap your head around. But uh you know that's where they are and and that's that's probably where they're going to be um do we have any ask us anything this week my friend we've got a couple let's let's get into those okay. so you can ask us anything to uh by sending us an email to dubcast at 11 warriors.com or hitting us up on twitter at 11 dubcast uh let's start with alvin uh good friend alvin sent in a a question that i'm very curious to see what your reaction is to um <laughs> very short he says skyline chili yay or nay I've had it once. I had it one time. Um, I had it actually in Cleveland. I didn't have it in Columbus the whole time I lived there, and I drove by one, you know, a lot. Um, but I never had it when I was in Cleveland, and I um, it, Columbus. So I had it when I was in Cleveland about a year ago, and I had it one time. And I, I say that I didn't hate it. Um, it was just I don't know that I'd ever crave it. Um, the combination of of noodles, kind of sweet. It almost tastes like spaghetti. I, I don't even, and then this <laughs> balance of, of cheddar cheese. Um, and then it all kind of amalgamates into this, you know, sticky. Kind of a slop. It's unlike anything I've ever had. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would tell people to have it. Like if somebody <laughs> said to me, um, you, you know, here's some Skyline chili. I, chili. I picked this up for you. I'd probably give it another go. I didn't yeah. hate it. But I cert- it's nothing I crave, and I don't understand it. The concept to me is crazy. I don't understand the, the concept of it. But It's a little uh, weird. So I guess nay. Are we saying nay? I guess I say nay. Well, that's, that's unfortunate. I, I definitely say yay. It's, it's a huge part of my childhood growing up. Is that I'm, it? It's got to be nostalgia for those of you from Southwest Ohio. It has well, to be nostalgia. I, I mean, I think part of it is, but I, I genuinely enjoy eating Skyline chili. It's not something that I'm like, oh, I'll just okay. go eat it because I haven't had it in a while. Like, I, I like the taste of it. I think it's fun to eat. Um, I generally like having it on a hot dog rather than, you know, like the three way or the five way or however you typically do it. Um, right. What but, is the standard skyline chili? When you tell somebody who's not from Ohio to go get skyline chili, what do you, what is like the skyline chili order? Of I mean, record? You, tell them, you tell them to get like a three way or four way. So basically you've got the, you've got the spaghetti, you've got the, the actual chili itself. You've got the onions, you've got the cheese. And usually that's, okay. that's good. And then sometimes people put the beans on it and whatnot. Um, 
But you know, I I usually just get the the hot dog with the sauce on it because it really is a sauce. It's not really a chili. It's it's just kind of a, a that's spicy it. sauce. It's more of a ragu. Yeah, nobody's yeah. nobody's putting it in a bowl and eating it with a bunch of crackers. Really, it's that's kind no. of no. Yeah, um, so it's misleading in that sense. Yeah, but I think it's delicious. I enjoy eating it. I made it for a couple of my friends that I was living in Japan. I got a couple cans shipped to me uh, okay. when I was living overseas. And, you know, the New Zealanders seem to like it. And, and some British people seem to like it. So that's good. Uh, Maybe I'll try I don't it on think a hot it dog. deserves nearly the hate that some people throw at it. You know, the shade that people throw it online. But I can understand that it could be a bit of an acquired taste. Um, so I, I am a definite yay on Skyline Chili. Yeah, I'm mostly indifferent. Like I'm, it, it was fine. And that's fair. You know, I haven't had it since, but it was fine. Yeah. Uh, next one we got from uh, this is from Evan. He says I often hear coaches make a statement like, "quote I'll have to look at the film." Uh, mm-hmm. Do teams, both college and pro, have a film staff slash department that renders various views of the games for them that are different from what the networks and then subsequently oh, us as the fans see on television? And I think that's something oh, we need yeah. to clear up because maybe some people aren't aware of that. Yeah, I mean they've got every angle in the world. Um, but the most important angle is coach film and what coach right. film is, is basically press box film. And you've probably heard, if you listen to the show a lot, you hear me lament about missing that because the, the joy of covering a college football game and sitting in the press box way up high. And I wouldn't sit anywhere other than that. If I had the choice is that you can actually see how things are developing and you can see when a guy is open and if a quarterback misses, it the television broadcast of a football game if you've never sat in the press box can be incredibly misleading because you don't that's why i think so oftentimes people college or pro are so quick to blame the quarterback because all they see is an incomplete pass they right. don't see what led to it and 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 the amount of mistakes that were made around the quarterback that led to it so that's why i really believe that's why so much dialogue is spent on the quarterback stinks. And the reality is maybe the receiver ran the wrong route. Maybe the receiver didn't get his head around. So there's a lot of things that can happen. And when you watch from the press box or you watch from the coach film, which is the up cam, they call it the up. And you see those mistakes and they're glad, you know, that, that it's just a better way. It's a more authentic way to see the game. And it, you could, if you really want to know about football, that's the best way to do it. Right. You don't get the dynamic shots and stuff that I think a lot of people, you know, or at least a lot of, TV executives think that people really, really want to see all right. the time. But, you know, it's you're right. The overhead view that the coaches get of the film that they're watching, they can see the entire field at all times and really lets you see a play develop and and kind of see where the mistakes or where things went right. Yeah. And um, that helps them a lot. And that's how they make a lot of their analyses. And when people I think a lot of times what happens is when people see that a certain player graded out as a champion and like, well, I thought he played like crap. Well, maybe you only saw half of his snaps, right? Maybe right. you only saw like maybe the one mistake that he made in the entire game. And then he was amazing the rest of the game. So there definitely is film that they get that is not, uh, you know, generally accessible to the person who's just watching it on television. And that helps them quite a bit. So uh, we've got, tell you what, Buckeye Fitzy, we got a, we got a set of questions from you, but I want to get to those maybe next week. Uh, Cause okay. I think there'll be a lot of, he's got a lot of questions about the big 10 race. And I think some things will clarify themselves um okay. after next week so we'll get to those um uh, but that is ask us anything for this week and again keep sending those questions in those are very good yeah that's good that's good stuff and i miss it man i miss the up cam <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, i know that's yeah, why I, I always value, so different I, 
Yeah, I would value like doing a radio show. If if I can get somebody who goes to every game and sits in the press box, there's huge value to that because if they know what they're if they know what they're looking for, they see stuff that you don't as a fan. I mean, it's right. It's just a total game changer on that front. We want to thank Shelly Meyer, the first lady of Ohio State football, for joining us today on the program. I thank you, Johnny. As always, good show, my friend, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, it was good talking to you. I'll talk to you next week.